Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. Uh, this week, uh, today, we're going to get Chuck. So just wanted to share, Chuck is a more recent friend of mine. He's here, uh, Chuck, with his wife, Diana. Uh, they're celebrating 44 years of marriage uh, this week. So um, they've made the journey, and they're, they're long-term friends, standing friends, which is surprising with Ron and Gretel, how you've kept that together. Well done. I guess you're the gracious one. Um, it's all on you. And uh, well, uh, so Chuck has uh, led pastor the church for 30 years in Longview, Texas. And uh, he's recently, in the last few years, handed over to his son. I won't say any more. You can share more about that. But it's a real privilege that you're taking time out to actually spend serving us as a church family. So from, from us on the leadership in the Wellspring Church family, thank you. We welcome you, but we also thank you and honor you for your work with us. So let's uh, give him a round of applause. <laughs> and... Um, as he's bringing the words today, it's not from 1 Peter or 2 Peter. Uh, we're taking a break from that uh, to allow the Lord to speak through Chuck, whatever God wants to speak. So we want to be ready for that, right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this man of God. And I thank you you've anointed him to preach your word. And I pray, Father, for your spirit and your word that bring life, that that would be life-giving to us today. And I pray for our hearts that we would have open hearts and minds and souls to receive all that you have, not just for now, Lord God, but we would be like good soil for a seed, not just to receive it, but that it would grow and develop and produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. It's a joy to be here. I've heard about this church for many years, and uh, we, uh, as, he, as your pastor said, I transitioned out myself uh, about 20, a few years back, and it was one of those strange things that um, the Lord just told me it was time. And, you know, I was fine. I was happy. I was enjoying life. I had lots of energy, even though I'm older, you know. But I felt like the Lord spoke to me one day uh, that the church needed the next generation of leadership to speak to the next generation of people that God was bringing into the church. And so I uh, heard that that's happened here re very recently, and I've gotten to know your pastor, and I love him so far, and I love the joy I see in his spirit. Uh, I, I appreciate that, right? And I, and I shared this in the first service, that, that it is my observation that God puts people strategically historically, like in a perfect time, perfect place, in a city, in a church. The church he puts in the city and the leader he puts in the church. You can see this in the book of Revelation. He has seven churches, seven leaders, seven messages, different, different cultures, different cities, different time zones. And it, they're the antidote. The leader usually is the antidote to the prevailing bad ideas people have about Christianity. And so a lot of people have bad ideas about Christianity, right? And one of them is like, it's depressing, it's sour, dour, somber. I used to have that idea. Christians are these depressed people. Only I knew barely one, and they were pretty depressed most of the time. 
and the church I went to was depressing, and, you know, it was an endurance test to, can you make it till 12 o'clock, and, and the resurrection happened at 12 o'clock. The dead came to life, and they started laughing and smiling and talking about life, you know. And so we, people have bad ideas about Christianity because they have they've been to churches and been around leaders, can be honest, that per, help perpetuate bad ideas. And so God puts opposite people, and I think that's what's happened here. Uh, so thankful for that. How many appreciate your pastor? The Lord has raised him up here. Amen. And uh, it looks like your transition is going well, and it's not easy to do this well. It's not easy to do this right, but... Uh, I, I have great expectations for your future, just the little time I've been here. So after the Lord told me to hand it off, okay, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen, the Lord says, this is what you're supposed to do next, and then you're not sure what you're supposed to do next after that. Like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm still, uh, you know, I have life and energy and strength, and um, he, he began to tell me to write. I've been writing. I've, I've, uh, in fact, I got a prophetic word. I didn't say that in the first sermon. I got a prophetic word confirming that, that there was a book or two in me. And actually, I've written two books since then. And I just published a book called Modern Paganism. And I'm not here to promote that book. I'm not telling you that for a reason. But I felt the Lord nudge me. I was going to go somewhere else. And I felt the Lord nudge me toward this subject, subject for you. In the book, I talk about ancient paganism. Ancient, the, Christianity was birthed in ancient Rome. It was governed by paganism. It was, uh, I exposed the vulgarity and the vileness of ancient paganism. Now, I do that to contrast to present trends for those who would take us away from Christianity. Judeo-Christianity... How many of you know, is our heritage, it is our heritage in the United States, it is your heritage in Great Britain, and the enemy has attacked that and is presently attacking it at a ferocious level like never before. And what I put forth in the book is that this is what Christianity set us free from 2,000 years ago. And when you see the vulgarity of ancient paganism, the loss of human rights, infanticide was popular. Uh, forget abortion. They just left the kids out to die. They would, if you know, girls were not as popular, girls, women were horribly looked down upon. Women had no rights, and they would take these little, if you had a girl, you just could throw it away. Just throw it in the river. Leave it to die. Nobody thought a second thing about it. No human rights, massive enslavement of humanity, massive vulgarity, butchery for entertainment. You know, we talk about violence on TV. We know it's acting. They didn't act. They did it. And I say, those of you who want to push us out of our Judeo-Christian heritage, is this really where you want us to go? Because that's where we will go. Back to paganism. And so that's, what I, that's why I felt the Lord call me to address this subject. Uh, and, and for those who would say, well, I don't know if we're, we could go that far. I don't know if we could get back to that. I don't know if we can either. But I know that a, there are even secular voices. I read lots of secular subjects and authors. And that say to us, it looks like that. In fact, in your own country, decades ago, the famous author, poet, T.S. Eliot, 
in a series of uh, lectures at Cambridge said, this is, I think, prophetic, and I don't think he was even a believer. Uh, he says, the future of Western societies would be determined by a contest between Christianity and a rival that he described as modern paganism. And so I think it's important to reframe the vocabulary today. Let me give you an example. So uh, one of our trips with Ron and Gretel, and we've known them for years, and we're such great friends. We're really here for them, to be with them. And uh, I told your pastor, uh, I know what it's like to have someone come to your pulpit and regularly abuse you from the pulpit and so, you know, Ron would come and he would come visit our church and he would just put me down in front of God and everybody, you know, because that's his style. That's his love language. It's abuse, you know. So, <laughs> so I'm giving David my email so he can, I can be a supporter, you know. But we love these guys so much and we're so appreciative of our friendship over the years. And we were doing a conference. We've done a lot of conferences in Eastern Europe and we're doing a conference and they graciously took us aside for a day or two in Salzburg, Salzburg, Austria. Beautiful city. Now, what's so special about Salzburg, Austria? Sound of music. All right. The hills are alive. Not my thing. But me being an amazing husband to my beautiful bride. Everybody say hello to my wife. Stand up. I want everybody to meet her. Stand up. It's 44 years. 44 years. So, so we did the Sound of Music tour, right? And, uh, and so uh, that was cool. It was beautiful. So we went home back to the United States, and then that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough because if you know the story of the Von Trapp family, you know, the, she was a nun, and and she married this guy. He was uh, a noble in his country, and they had to flee because of the Nazis. And they came to America, and uh, they settled in Vermont. And so guess what? We had to go next. Vermont. And so Vermont is this huge, beautiful, like a retreat vacation area, and the Von Trapps owned it. And the granddaughter was our tour guide, the granddaughter of Maria Van Von Trapp. So we're going around, and, and I... It just comes up. I don't know how, but faith comes up. And she, and I said, you know, are you a Catholic like your mom? She was a Catholic nun. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm nothing. No belief. And the tone was this. And this is the tone of modern society. I've moved on from that. I've moved on from Christianity. That's the past. I've moved on. And I said to her, well, I grew up a pagan. She looked at me. That's interesting. And then I became a Christian in college. Because I did. I grew up lost completely, in the, not in the church. And I was a pagan. You say, well, okay, Chuck, what's a pagan? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. A person who tries to validate morally or spiritually a life that is given and governed by self-indulgence, self-interest, and personal instincts. What I feel, what I think, what I want to do. Most of the people who live that kind of life are governed by the culture. Either their personal culture or the culture. They have no reference to transcendent 
authority. The definition of Christianity, true Christianity, biblical Christianity, not one that's capitulated to the culture, is that we are governed by a transcendent authority, otherwise known as the Word of God, the Bible. That is, governs us. We don't get to decide it. We don't get to decide and change our beliefs because it's not comfortable or whatever. It is how we are governed. It is what our faith is. And if we decide to have a Christianity that's not governed by a transcendent authority, then we are no longer Christians. We don't get to become Christians of our own definition. And so that's, you can find pagans in the umbrella of Christendom, but they're governed by themselves. They're governed by their desires. They're governed by their own instincts. Now, I think it was important, and I think it's important, uh, it was important that day with Maria von Trapp's granddaughter, and I think it's important today to frame things the right way. Maggie and I were talking about this, the vocabulary. Satan has used vocabulary against us, like compassion, tolerance. Oh, I'm compassionate, I'm tolerant. And so I got, I know the Lord used me that day to get this precious young woman to think. Because pagan is not a flattering word. You know, we have images of, you know, eating, you know, raw meat and blood sacrifices and goats under the moon and stuff like that. That's not what the paganistic definition really is. The Romans saw themselves as sophisticated, educated, cultured, eating grapes and watching people butcher themselves and having your 2,000 slaves attend to your every need. They were the elite. They were the educated and they were vulgar at the very core of their being. And so an unbeliever sounds like someone who's educated beyond the faith. A pagan says, no, that's not so good. People think they've moved on from Christianity. What I hope and what I think the church's job today is we're not moving on. We're moving back. We're moving back. If we don't if we abandon the faith, if we abandon Judeo-Christian morality, we are moving. There is no other place to go. There is only two moral systems today. And you will go backward to an ancient, vile world that nobody, not even the most ardent atheist, wants. If we can show people what that is about, what is that world that Christianity delivered us from? Do you really want to go back there? The loss of human rights, the loss of dignity, every form of sexuality praised without any restraints and forget the damage done to children and other people. See, that is what is before us today. That is the, the, the moral war, can I say, that we are involved in. So anyway, I just wanted to encourage you. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's so quiet in here. <laughs> I love to depress people. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so let me give you a passage of Scripture. Okay, when's he going to get to the Bible? Okay, now you asked. I'm going there. Let me give you a passage of Scripture that has encouraged me a lot, and I've found encouraged lots of people. I want to, talk, I want to just walk us through a few verses of Psalms chapter 2. I think we're going to put it on the screen, but I want to... I want to just walk through it because I, I, do, I do believe it's very, very um, appropriate 
today. Okay, here, let's start in verse 1. Why do the nations rage? Don't you love it when God asks questions? Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Good question. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who is that? Who is the anointed? Gee, we have interaction in our church and home, so it's a, you're allowed to speak up. In fact, um, I need amens because I'm very insecure, okay? <laughs> against the Lord and his anointed, saying... Here's what's going on, guys. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So there's a group of people saying, hey, we're going to throw off the yokes of the past. We're going to throw off these boundaries. We've moved on from the boundaries, the bonds, the yokes. But here's what I want to point out. First thing, the people are not saying that. Everywhere I go, and I think you would find it here in London. I found it in America. We just came back from a bike tour in southern France, you know. When, when we celebrate, uh, we like to work ourselves to death. <laughs> so we biked 160 miles and climbed mountains on two, and I thought my legs were going to die. We, we're, we love to cycle. So, I oh, know, crazy people. <laughs> There's some self-hatred in there somewhere. So... Uh, I'll get, I'll get Magni to analyze me. You know. <laughs> um, here's what I see everybody saying. Man, those people are getting crazy today. People are, how many know today people are disturbed about the culture? How many know that? Do you know that? How many of you are disturbed about the culture? Okay, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that. People are saying, people are getting crazy. They see these massive cultural shifts going but everybody is saying everybody is crazy I haven't met one person go yeah man I love what's going on in the culture I love it so who is saying let us break their bonds it's not the average person it is the rulers the kings you see that you see what God says here the kings the rulers it's a special class of people they're not us there are people that are in positions of influence today. They are, um, yeah, they are reinforcing each other. We have companies in America making decisions that distress their employees. We have administrators making decisions that distress the parents, that distress the students. They're not saying, hey, we want to serve you. We have companies that are losing billions of dollars in America right now because they feel the need to posture themselves and position themselves in what we call, maybe you call it virtue signal. Hey, we're moral people. But it's a different kind of morality. They've taken it upon themselves to redefine morality. Away from Christianity, away from our Judeo-Christian morality, and to, in the process, make us think we are, something is wrong with us. Do you see what's happening? And notice what it says. They take counsel together. 
They're not listening to their customers. They're not listening to the people they're supposed to be serving. Who are they listening to? Each other. In their little, and this is again, I get into the book on this, their little bubble. You know what a clique is? A clique is a little group of people that reinforce each other. And they look down on everybody else. That's what a bubble is. That's what a clique is. That's what's going on with our rulers and our kings and our, you know. And I don't mean literal kings. You guys have real kings. We don't have real kings. But, but I'm talking about just people in, in position. To, I call the self-appointed architects of society, you know. And, and this is what's causing the distress in the world. In fact, Jesus predicted, I don't have it on the screen, Luke 21, 25. It's, Luke 21 is one of the last day's passages. You've got Matthew Matthew 24, Luke 21, I think Mark 13. In Luke 21's version, it says, it says uh, let me just read it so I get it right. Uh, on, Jesus said, and there will be on the earth distress of nations. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So the, the sea always talks about humanity. It's, it's a troubled waters going on in a culture today. And this is why I felt like the Lord, personally for me, said, go after that, define it. My, my mission is to talk about and write about the intersection between Christianity and culture. But I also believe it's not just mine. I believe it's the mission of the church. It has historically been the mission of the church. And Christians, to talk about the culture and help people frame moral issues in the culture in the right way. Let's keep reading. He, now, this is my favorite part of the whole psalm. So he's talking about the kings, and they're arrogant, and they're full of themselves, and they're going, we're going to cast off the bonds. We're going to get rid of God's morality and God, the reality of God and the knowledge of God. He says, this is what God's going to do about it. He who sits in the, leaven, in the heavens will laugh. I love that. God thinks this is funny. He looks at them and goes, really? <laughs> really? Really? You're the new Lord? You're the new God? You're the new one that says to everybody, that old stuff doesn't matter anymore? The Bible is not true anymore? Science contradicts the Bible now all of a sudden? Morality is now this instead of this? You're the one that says this? This is what God says. He's going to laugh. The Lord, he who sits in the heavens will laugh. The Lord shall hold them. Who? The kings and the rulers. If you read the Bible at all, God really gets mad at proud people. He doesn't like it. Little G God, little G God. No, you're not. You're not God. You're not God. He will hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. And distress them in his deep displeasure. You're going to distress everybody? I'm going to distress you. That's why I'm saying. We've got CEOs of companies who thought they were so smart and so virtuous and so cool and so trendy. And they were putting immoral principles into their companies. And immoral principles into their communication. And immoral principles into their corporate cultures. And all of a sudden they turn around and they are losing billions of dollars. Really? You think you're so smart? God laughs. I want to encourage you here. God laughs at people who think that they don't need him. And they don't need. They're smarter than he is. He will hold them in derision. 
How does he laugh? How does he do this? He lets bad ideas. He doesn't stop bad ideas. He doesn't control everything. He lets bad ideas mature like the wheat and the tares mature until you see it for what it really is. How stupid is this really? Now, now uh, that's what's going on. We have a lot of people in America. I, don't, I think it's happening some in the UK who are getting very angry because they're trying to tell young minors who think they're transgender. Yes, you are. Don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to your church. Don't listen to anybody else. Listen to us. There's no science behind it. None. It's the latest fad. It's the latest victim group. And they need a victim group because they're, they're the moral ones. They're the caring ones. They're the compassionate ones. A pagan needs to feel they're a moral person. That's what makes them different from an atheist. Atheists like to think they're moral people, but an atheist has no basis for morality. Think about it. An atheist says, we're just animals. I have five horses. They're good horses, but they're not moral beings. You know? They don't sit around and ponder the meaning of life. They wonder where their next meal's coming from. That's pretty much it. This is what brought the great Christian philosopher C.S. Lewis to faith. If you read the book, Mere Christianity. Anybody read Mere Christianity? That's a great book. You should read that book, Mere Christianity. Hey, he's one of your authors. Read him. He realized as an atheist, he could not account for morality. He realized as an atheist, he was a committed atheist. He taught at Cambridge University. He was very smart, but he was a committed atheist. And by the way, never be intimidated by smart people. Never. Never be intimidated because somebody's got a doctorate behind their degree. I respect that, but that doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. It means you're really good in one subject. <laughs> I hope you're there. C.S. Lewis said, if you educate people without the knowledge of God, you just make clever devils. I like C.S. Lewis. He said, he said, I realized there were things that bothered me. Like if you cut in line. Or you yelled at me. Or you took something of mine. That means there's a moral code out there. But that doesn't make sense if you're an atheist. If there's no God, if we're just animals... You know, bugs and beetles and beets don't have morality. But, but then he realized the contradiction and he became a Christian as a result. So an atheist can't claim a moral code. A pagan claims a moral code. But they keep creating the new moral code, that which is culturally fashionable instead of that which is time-honored in the Christian faith. So they're trying to redefine for us morality. If that makes you mad, then I've done my job. So, we condemn bad ideas. God condemns bad ideas. At the same time, we care for people. They don't contradict. In fact, they complement. I, I need to condemn a bad idea for you because I care about you. I love you. You're going to be valuable to me no matter what but I'm going to condemn a bad idea. And I'm going to show you the basis for my condemnation. It is an authority greater than either one of us. We are not little gods. We need a God. We can't be a God. And the cultural, the pagans today assert themselves in the place of God. 
And every single one of us, every single one of us have to decide our morality. And from where do we get it? What is the source of our morality? So let's finish because I got to get out of here. Your pastor says I only have three hours, so I need to hurry. <laughs> Verse 6, yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. This is why I love the church. This is why we're the hope of the world. You are the hope of the world. You are the hope of the world. Why? Because where do people see the king? Where do they see Jesus today? Not on TV. Unfortunately, not in most of our schools. Unfortunately, not in most of our institutions. Where do we see Jesus? Where has God set him? On his hill of Zion, the church. He's here. You know he's here, right? I felt him. I always, people come to me, you know, they, they go to our church and they go, oh, we're moving to a town where you know a good church. I don't know. I don't know a good church. But here's what you look for. Here's what you look for if you want a good church. Number one, do they teach the Bible? Number two, do they love people? And number three, is God there? Does he go? <laughs> if he doesn't go, you don't need to go. I mean, I don't want to go to church where God goes. Where does God go? Well, people worship him. And, and I, I'm just telling you, God's here, guys. You're in a great church. He's here. I feel it. It's, it's awesome. So that's why we love the church. God says, in the middle of all of this, I'm going to set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Number verse 7. I will decree the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Don't you love that? Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. Isn't that a great verse? And this is why no matter how dark the nation we go after it because it's his inheritance. We fight for it. Why? Because it's his inheritance. And this is why we're in Dare to Run and Gretel because they've, they're just heroic in my mind. They, they've gone into these nations at personal risk before the Iron Curtain fell. A lot of people have a history. Not very many make history. Ron is a, mate. He's a person that made history. And I, and I honor him for that. He's there. They're a Christian. There's the existence of the faith in places, in many ways, because of him. We thank you for that, Ron, for all your years of service. Amen. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I just want you to know, as his friend, that we have properly embarrassed him, and this is a wonderful day for me. <laughs> Verse uh, ten, 9, and he says, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Now we're back to the kings, the influencers, the self-appointed architects, the little g-gods. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Wow. It's a, it should be considered a fearful thing to be in a place of authority, to be a king, to be a judge, to be an influencer. I don't care. Entertain. It doesn't matter. Be wise. Be instructed. God's rebuking the kings. He's chiding them. 
The church has done that. The church should do that. Christians should do that. We love it. We respect authority, but we rebuke authority when it's inappropriate. You don't have a right to tell me as my employer, as my elected representative, as the administrator of my school, my child's teacher, you don't have a right to tell me that my morality is wrong and yours is right. You don't get to do that. You don't get to erase 2,000 years of Christianity and try to take us back to pagan morality. We, we should push back against that. Rebuke the kings. Of course, I'm American. That's what we do. We rebuke kings, you know. It's in our history, you know. But it's what the church has done. We, we love, we appreciate authority, but they are not God. And they don't get to replace God. And I think you're in Peter, you're in Acts and Peter. Peter said in Acts, we, we honor you authority, but we shall serve God rather than you. If it comes down between the two, we shall serve God. Now, I know I'm scaring some of you now. Because you see your path. And my prayers are for you. To be strong and of good courage. We heard that from our Joshua today. That's what God told him. And my prayers are with you. So there is, there is the pushback in our country. And I want to encourage you in your country to do the same. Because I promise you, I promise you, we do not want to go backward. This is not forward progress. This is backward Backward, backward, backward to a darkness that nobody in their right mind wants. These kings, these authority figures who think it's fashionable to push against Judeo-Christian morality, they are usually the privileged ones that have never suffered. They have no idea that if we got the darkness they want to hand us, everybody would hate it. Everybody would hate it, including them. They're like spoiled little children who's had too much of their parents' credit cards. So I believe we're at a pivotal moment, and I just want to end with this. Let me finish the verse. As all the Psalms do, no matter how troubling of a territory it takes you through, the psalmist always ends like this. Blessed, <laughs> blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. So take heart, Christian. We live in people... In the times of warfare, spiritually, morally. But if you're a true, for real Christian, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Now, when I say that, I don't mean go hide till Jesus comes. That's not what being fine is. I always get these social media posts every time something weird happens in the culture. Well, it's countdown to Jesus is coming. You know, it's just a few minutes later. You know, it's like... It's like, uh, uh, yes, the second coming of Jesus is our glorious hope. But the message to God is never to the church. Hey, go hide till he comes. Make sure you have plenty of bottled water. And in Texas, we add bullets to that, you know, because the zombies are coming. I said in Texas, you don't have to do it. It's always going to be okay. It's always going to be okay. We thrive in every culture. We thrive in every culture. But we care about our culture. 
You know where the word culture actually means? It comes from the root word cult. Do you know what that word means? It's not a strange belief. It just means religious view. It means worship. In the Latin, it's adoration. A culture is always a reflection of what is worshipped. So what are we the advocates for? The right thing being worshipped. You don't like your life? What are you worshipping? You don't like your life? What are you worshipping? You don't like your job? What are you worshipping? You don't like your marriage? What are you worshipping? You don't like your emotional state of being? What are you worshipping? So we must contend. We must contend for our culture. I know this is so strange because too much of the church has not. We're a subculture. We are a subculture, but we also should be a counterculture. Don't let the pagans be the only counterculture. Let's be the counterculture, amen? All right, let me, let me give you three quick takeaways, and then we're done. Whew, I'm out of time. All right, Where do you do, what do you do with all this? Okay, here's, here's what I think the three takeaways are. Number one, I've already said this. Don't let pagans define your moral code. You don't get, they, don't, they don't get to decide that. You let God decide your moral code. And the number one commandment, the first commandment in paganism is thou shalt not judge. Thou shalt not judge. They don't know anything else. If they know any verse, it's that. They don't know John 3.16, but they know thou shalt not judge. And what does that mean? I get to live however I want, and nobody should be able to say anything to me about it. Now, why does a pagan need to silence other voices? Why does a pagan need to silence other voices? Because they have to silence your voice because your voice in reinforces the inner voice of conscience that is condemning them. That's what Paul wrote in Romans 2. So don't buy that, don't judge thing. Number two, God's people are always on the earth to provide moral clarity, to bring light. We are here to bring the light of Christianity and contrast it with the darkness of paganism. That's what we've always been doing. That is our job. I read a book by Theodore Dalrymple. He's a British author. That's a British name, right? You don't find that name in America. <laughs> Theodore Dalrymple. My youngest son named his son Thatcher. Thatcher George. I said, what? Do you want to be British or what? That sounds very British to me. Okay. It's a cool name. Don't look at me weird. Okay. So he wrote a book. He's a psychiatrist. He's a British doctor, British psychiatrist. In the 70s and 80s, he, he wrote this book. He, he practiced in the 70s, and he dealt with people that were at the kind of the, the most troubled areas, the marginalized areas of society uh, that were living desperate lives and, and destructive lives. And he said, here's the problem I see in society. And this is a secular book. He said... People who live fairly good lives, they have lots of personal responsibility, they're, good, they're doing good economically, they work hard at their jobs, they have fairly good marriages. They're very reluctant to tell somebody else that's destroying their life, hey, this isn't good what you're doing. It can be the most abusive behavior, but who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? As if... I can't speak up because the first commandment of paganism is thou shalt not judge. And I love what he said in the book. He said, what we need more of is people who are living good lives need to help other people by preaching what they practice. Preach what works for you, man. And if you're a Christian, guess what? That works for you. 
And quit being afraid. Well, I don't know their circumstances. I don't know their lived experience. I don't know this. I know that's true. You don't. But there are certain moral principles and certain axioms of life that work in every dimension of life. Else we wouldn't even have the Bible, guys. So we don't buy into the, the, the pagan definition of reality or morality. We become light in places of darkness. And here's the final thing. Realize that as moral clarity. Don't be afraid to bring moral clarity to situations on the basis of the time-honored history of Judeo-Christian morality that has elevated the lives of hundreds of millions of people. And is also supported by science, by the way. True science will always support the Bible. I'd be glad to have a conversation on any dimension with you on that. I go into lots of evidence in my book. But trust me, if you don't want to do either one, read the book or have a conversation with me. True science always supports the Bible. Science does not support a lot of the stuff that's being put out there today. And... And here's the cool thing. God's laughing because they can't say the science supports it anymore. That's what the Internet has done. The Internet has flattened the knowledge curve that you can go do research and quote other scientists, other doctors, other people that are speaking honestly and truthfully. And, you know, when you hear the phrase, the science is settled, understand this. The only science that's settled is political science. Because science, by true definition, is never settled. It's always investigating, always inquiring, always learning, always growing, always open to more knowledge. I just threw that in for no extra charge. Okay, so <laughs> moral clarity. Moral clarity brings people to Jesus. I was telling Magda between the services that I was afraid to bring moral clarity to people as of now a Christian because I had all my moral ideas changed Right after I got saved. If you met me before when I got saved, I would have been arguing for abortion. I would have been arguing evolution. I would have been arguing for cohabitation. You got to try before you buy, man. Got to take this thing for a test drive. I know people, you know people who have been test driving that car. It's got 100,000 miles on it. When are you going to buy that thing? It's... That's the danger of paganism. Pagans are afraid of the future. Pagans are afraid to make decisions. Pagans are afraid. Do you know pagans are afraid to have kids? Oh, the world's going. You think, if you think you have a negative view of the future, pagans have a terrible view of the future. Oh, we're not. Earth's going to burn up. We're, we're going to overpopulate. <laughs> you know, I can't have kids. I have dogs, but I have kids. <laughs> okay. God's laughing, so, so am I. <laughs> the law, the Bible says the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Don't be afraid to bring moral clarity. Do it in love. Compassion and truth do not contradict. They complement. Never forget that. If you don't tell people truth, they're destroying their lives. But you're just going to show love. You're not showing love. Don't fool yourself. You are not showing love. That's a pagan definition of compassion. I'm here to support you no matter what you do. You're, I see your car is going over the cliff. But it's none of my business. 
No, that's, 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 that's selfishness. That's self-love. That's not loving anybody. So we do invite them to church. And I encourage you to invite people to church, although I don't know where you're going to put them. <laughs> but sometimes people won't come to church because they have a bad idea of church. So they seem to see a quality of life that you have. And that's what being around them helps do. But then they need moral clarity. And you look for a chance to have that conversation. I'm here today. I'm saved. I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm going to heaven and not hell when I die. Because a classmate, when I was a freshman in college, I grew up a pagan, lost, completely lost, didn't know Christians. You know, I know you think that's hard to do in the Bible Belt South, but it's possible. Um, and I was bragging to my friend about my pagan lifestyle. And he said, well, I'm a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus this weekend. And I said, well, I'm a Christian too. <laughs> and here's the scary thought. I thought I was because some preacher told me I was. The fruit wasn't there. And he said this. So he thought he took me at my word, said I'm a Christian. So he started talking to me like I was backslidden. And he gave me the verse. He said, well, Jesus said, I'd rather be hot or cold than lukewarm. Because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, by today's standard, that was just, that was just very cruel and unkind. If, I, if that had happened today, I'd go, who are you to judge me? Do you understand my lived experience? I'm five foot seven. Do you know what it's like to be five foot seven? You can't judge me. So he was talking to me like a backslidden Christian. He didn't know. I didn't know. I wasn't backslidden. I'd never front slid. I'd never met Jesus. So if somebody tells you you're a Christian and they don't live the life, don't be, don't be stopping with that. He spoke the truth. And it, and it, it, it was like it was a law. The law started leading me. I was, I was convicted for four days. I found, four days later, I found myself in an on-campus worship service giving my life to Jesus. Never looked back. God has used me to lead thousands of people to Jesus, thousands, because of that one guy had the courage. He cared for me more than he cared for himself at that moment. That's what Christians do. That's what love is. Don't be intimidated. That's what I want to pray. I want to pray for you, because you guys, you're the life. You're the light. You're the light of this city. I don't know if you know that yet, but you really are. And I, and I just felt like this before I pray, prophetically in the worship time in the first service, that there were people here that, um, as we do in our walk with God, we, we kind of get down on ourselves. We go, I'm not doing so great. I need to be more faithful. And, you know, I need to have a better emotional state. I need to be more consistent, you know. And you see things that you like, don't like about yourself. And yes, you can grow. You can improve. You should. But I think I'm supposed to tell you you're doing better than you think you are. I don't know if you would say this, but I say my worst day as a Christian is better than my best day as a pagan. And that is the truth. I had some really good days. I was a happy little pagan. I really was. But there was an emptiness in my soul, as many of you can attest by my definition of paganism, how many of you were pagans at one time? 
Don't be, oh, come on. The rest of you are awesome. I say I'm relate to my fellow pagans. And I'm supposed to tell that group of people that you're doing better than you were than you think you are. Because why? Because you're in the kingdom now. Here's the line, and you crossed over, and you're headed. You're not over there. You're over here. You may be not very far over here, but you're not over there. Come on, man. And just keep going. Get closer and closer. Away from the war zone. We prayed for the war zone. Get away from the war zone. Move closer to the capital. Move closer to Zion. Move closer to the King Jesus. That stuff that bothers you is going to start falling off of you, man. And you're going to like. Here's the, here's the big thing. You're going to like who you're becoming. You're going to like who you are. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this amazing group of people. I speak your blessing upon them. And I pray for courage and clarity. They go together. Courage and clarity. Use them to be a light to save and rescue as many people as we can. From the vulgarities of ancient paganism. To the bright light of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless. God. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in person and online.